so uh, now you know why we were so anxious to merge campuses. Uh, man, powerful, powerful song. I really want to thank Tiffany for introducing that song to us. Uh, I've been listening to, I listened to it all the way uh, to church this morning. I've been listening to it all week. And uh, just a, man. And if you put it in the context of Joshua, which we're going to talk about today, it's, it's amazing how this fits within the story. And we are in a series called The Story. Uh, we're, the whole idea behind this series is for us to read through the entire story of the Bible uh, by November 22nd. And so if you're just joining us, it's your first time joining us, and you want to participate in it, you are more than welcome to. Uh, we don't have any more copies of books. We sold out of all these books, but you can get them online. They're actually cheaper online now than when we sold them to you. I'm sorry. We, we sold them to you for 10 bucks, but now I saw them on sale for like 7 bucks somewhere else. But you can get them online, Christian book distributors or Lifeway or whatever. Uh, it's a Bible written in well, it's not written in story form. The Bible's written in story form. What this one does is it puts it in chronological order, and then it kind of takes out all the list and the, the laws, instructions, all that stuff, and just gives you the story of the Bible. And so that's what we've been going through. And this has been a fascinating way to read the Bible, in my opinion. I, I love stories. I love telling stories. I love listening to stories. I love reading stories. So I've really enjoyed reading the Bible in this way and trying to connect the dots. And so if we were reading a traditional Bible, we would have read through... I thought I had a slide in there somewhere. Do I have the Torah in there somewhere, Ty? We would, you can find that for me. We would have read through the first five books of the Bible if we were reading it in a traditional way. So the Torah is the first five books of the Bible. That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And that's where we would have been. We've done two weeks worth of reading. I think it's six chapters in the book, the storybook. But we would have read through the first five, chapter, or first five books of the Bible. Uh, most of everything we've read, there they are. Most of everything we've read have been out of the first two books, Genesis and Exodus. So Genesis, of course, tells the story of creation. You've got Adam and Eve, you've got Cain and Abel, you've got Noah and the ark. And then the rest of Genesis is the story of Abraham and his descendants. And Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob, Jacob's name was changed to Israel, Israel had 12 sons, and they became the 12 tribes of Israel. So that's where we get the, the name for the nation of Israel. They're the descendants of Jacob, whose name was Israel, and the 12 tribes of Israel. And then we talked a lot about Joseph last Sunday. So uh, Joseph's the 11th son of Jacob, the most famous son of Jacob, because the story of Joseph tells us how the Israelites ended up in Egypt. And that's really important to the second book, Exodus. So Exodus tells us how the Israelites got out of Egypt, how they escaped the hands of the Pharaoh, escaped slavery, and the great hero, Tiffany referenced him, the great hero of the Israelites was Moses, because God rose up Moses to lead his people out of Egypt and out of slavery. So the part of the story I didn't tell last week is what happened right after they escaped slavery. After, they, after the Red Sea parted and you know, they've escaped and they're now in the desert, they go to Mount Sinai. And God gives them the law. This is called the law of Moses. And God actually makes a covenant with the people of Israel at Mount Sinai. And it's called the Sinai Covenant or the Mosaic Covenant. And it's a conditional covenant. You heard the language in the, the reading that Tiffany gave. The conditional covenant is, if you obey my law, I will bless you and prosper you. If you do not obey my law, I will not do those things. And uh, if you read the rest of the story, that's what happens. They do not obey his law, and they don't immediately inherit the promised land. So God has given them this promised land, and then he's given them, and you could read about that in Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He's given them uh, the law. He's given them instructions for burnt offerings and sacrifices, instructions for the tabernacle. All of this stuff is contained, and he's given them the promised land. 
but they don't immediately inherit it because the Israelites uh, sin, they worship false idols. I mean, they're worshiping a golden calf just just moments after God has parted the sea for them, they're bowing down to a golden calf and saying, this golden calf led us out of Egypt, not God. I mean, it's, it's, it's really, it's almost mind-boggling to watch it develop. But they complain, they fuss, they gripe, they say, I wish we were back in Egypt. The biggest thing they do, though, is they don't trust God to give them the promised land. So God told them, I want to give you the promised land, but they don't trust that he's capable of it. Only two of them said, yeah, I think we can take it. And the rest of them said, we're not going to be able to conquer these enemies in the promised land. So God tells them, uh, then you're not going to see it. Like, the last chapter you read last week is called Wondering, and God said, you're, you're not going to see it. None of you in your generation will see the promised land, including Moses. I mean, the, the great hero of the faith here, he, he's not even going to get to inherit the promised land because of his sin. And the last chapter in Deuteronomy, the end of the Torah ends with these verses right here. So you think of this incredible, epic journey that's going on. You know, everything from Abraham all the way through Moses and the ten plagues and the parting of the Red Sea and all of this, the giving of the Ten Commandments, all of this stuff that's happened. The story ends like this. Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah, across from Jericho, and there the Lord showed him the whole land. From Gilead to Dan, all of Naphtali, I can't pronounce those words, the the territory of Ephron and Masna, all the land of Judah as far as the Mediterranean Sea, the whole region from the valley of Jericho. So, So God takes Moses up to this mountain and says, there's the land that was promised to your ancestors. There's what we've been marching towards. There's what we've been waiting for. For 40 years, we've been waiting to inherit this land. And the Lord said to him, this is what I promised you on oath. To Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when I said, I will give it to your descendants, I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. And Moses, the servant of the Lord there, died in Moab, just as the Lord has said. He buried him in Moab in the valley opposite Beth Poor, but to this day, no one knows where his grave is. And Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. And the Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. Like it's, a, it's like we've been through this, I mean, this incredible story. And, and, and God has kept, he's faithful and he keeps ra- raising up these heroes. And you've got Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses. And then the story ends in the Torah with Moses dying and he doesn't get to pro- go into the promised land. And it's kind of a, it's kind of a sad way to end the story. But what you got to remember is this. We're just getting started. Like, this is not even the first 15 minutes of the movie. Like, the story has just gotten started. Moses is an early character. In the very next verse, verse 9, God says, Joshua, son of Nun, he was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him, and he did what the Lord had commanded Moses. So God raises up a second Moses, and Joshua becomes the second Moses. Joshua will become the one who will lead the people of Israel into the promised land. And what Tiffany read you before that song were the words that God gave to Joshua. And what did he tell Joshua over and over and over again? Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. He kept repeating that to Joshua. That verse 9, I think I got that one in there, Joshua verse 9. 
He said, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Now, I believe that's a promise for Joshua. And that's a promise for the people of Israel. But I believe these words were preserved so that that's a promise for us as well. And, I mean, if, that, if there's ever a time for verses like this, we're living in the time. And, I mean, people are anxious. People are scared. There's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of, like, we don't know what the future holds. We don't know this, what this is going to look like. I mean, all of this is going on. And God tells us, just like he told Joshua, he says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. And the reason is, I will go with you. That is a constant promise throughout Scripture is God says, I will be with you. I will not leave or forsake you. That's, that's in the New Testament, Old Testament. God constantly promises his people, I will be with you. All he asks us to do is to trust him. You just got to trust me. And you got to have enough faith to step forward, even though you don't know exactly what that you're stepping forward into. You don't know exactly what that future holds, but you got to have enough faith to step forward because I, the Lord your God, will go with you. And I think one of the most powerful verses in all of Joshua is, is the next verse that follows this one. So after God tells him, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, in chapter, or verse 11, Joshua says, he, he tells the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready, three days from now we'll cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the Lord, the land the Lord is giving for your own. So they've been wandering in the desert for 40 years. Nobody in that current generation of Israelites thought that it was possible, well, there was a couple that thought it was possible, but most people did not think it was possible to defeat the enemies that were across the Jordan. There was no way they were going to take this promised land. They'd been wandering in the desert for all this time, for a generation. Before that, they were enslaved for hundreds of years. And God says, be strong and courageous to Joshua, and Joshua goes and tells the camp, hey, three days, we're crossing the river. Get ready. Pack your stuff. (laughs) Buckle your seatbelt. We're going. And there's two events that happen early in this story. You'll read about it this week in your readings, but two pivotal events that communicate to the people of Israel that you're not going to do this through your own might. You're going to do this through God's might. This is going to happen through God's strength. God is the deliverer. So just as God delivered you from the hand of the Pharaoh, God will deliver the Canaanites into your hand. And the two events are uh, the crossing of the river itself and and the battle for Jericho. So the, the river's at flood stage, and there's no bridge, okay? There's no, there's no easy way to get over this river. And Joshua tells the priest, prepare the Ark of the Covenant, and that represents the presence of God. So prepare the Ark of the Covenant and cross the river. And I'm sure the people looking at him like, what are you talking about? There's no, we're going to drown if we step into that river. He says, I want you to step into the river and go. As soon as the priests step their feet into the river, the river parts and the Israelites walk across on dry ground. Now, do you think of the symbolism there? Because how did God deliver them from the hand of Pharaoh? He parted the Red Sea. They walked across on dry ground. So he's going to deliver them into the promised land with the same symbolism. He parts the Jordan River. They walk across on dry ground. The first thing they come across when they get there is the city of Jericho. Now, they've been spying on the city of Jericho and uh, thinking, you know, this, this city's got formidable defenses. This city's got a wall around it. There's no way that we can conquer this. And so God says, well, here's what I want you to do. If you, if you grew up VBS and, you know, uh, Sunday school and all that, you know this story. The walls of Jericho. They marched around the walls of Jericho. God said, six days you're going to walk around the walls. 
on the seventh day, you're going to blow the trumpet. And when you blow the trumpet on the seventh day, the walls of the city of Jericho will fall and you will take the land. And so that's what they do. They march around for six days. On the seventh day, it falls and they take the land. And uh, that's, again, an example of God delivering them into the Israelites' hand. Now, I don't, this is not my book, so I don't have my highlights here. Let me see if I got this verse. No, I don't. But let's talk about this right here. Okay, okay so <clears throat> this is where, like, you, the wall of Jericho, like, we grew up hearing that as little kids. What they don't usually read you is Joshua 6, verse 21. I don't have that readily available because I'm not going to be able to find that real quick. But what that says is that God delivered into the hands of the Israelites the men, women, and children of the Canaanites, and they were all killed. And as, as you read through chapter 7 in, in your book, you're going to find similar descriptions like that, like that we, we stopped there in Sunday school. We're like, okay, no, that was, that's a nice little story about the wall but let's don't let's don't talk about the slaughter and um, then as you read through this Joshua is a military history so what are you going to read about in military history you're going to read about and the Israelites left no survivors and the men and and all the men and women of the city of Ai were slain and 12,000 people died that day after the battle and I mean, they, they, the people were totally annihilated. They were destroyed. And like, I kept reading that this week. And I told you early in this, like, don't chase the rabbit trails. Like, you know, stay focused on the big story. Stay focused on the big stuff. Don't, don't go chasing those rabbit trails. The violence of the Old Testament is a rabbit trail you probably need to chase just a little bit. Because it's, it's a big, it's a stumbling block for a lot of people. When they read through the Old Testament, uh, it causes a couple of things. One, it causes people to question whether or not the God of the Old Testament is the same as the God of the New Testament. Because they've heard all these you know, descriptions of God is peace and God is love and God is mercy. And then you read what his people did in the Old Testament and go, wait a minute, this, this doesn't add up. And I absolutely believe the God of the Old Testament is the same as God of the New Testament. The God of the Old Testament is described as being slow to anger and abounding in love. But then how do you reconcile that with the violence that you read about as they conquer the promised land? Uh, the other thing that it does is it causes some people to just say, I, I, I don't know that I can be a part of that faith. You know, that, that it's just there's too much violence and there's too much, you know, God can't be merciful. God can't be just if this kind of violence exists. So I want to time out on the story. So leave Joshua and Jericho and the promised land here. Let's have a little theological discussion for just a minute, and we'll take long, okay? Um, three things that I'll kind of point you to about the violence that you read about in the story of Joshua. Uh, one of them is the author does use hyperbole. So uh, hyperbole is just an exaggerated way of saying something. So the author would say, we completely destroyed them, or we annihilated them, or we left no survivors. Well, they actually did leave survivors because the very next book talks about all the problems they had because of the nations that they left in existence. So they didn't defeat all of the Canaanites. They did leave survivors. Okay, we use hyperbole all the time. Like it's, I don't, I don't know who y'all's big rival is, but you know, I mean, if you, you beat the big rival, you're like, we destroyed them. There was not a single person left standing. We completely annihilated them. We left no survivors. Well, you obviously left survivors. All you're saying is we just beat them and we beat them bad. And so the author's using hyperbole to say Israel beat them and beat them bad. But people did die, okay? We're talking military history, not baseball. We're talking military history. People did die. Here's the second thing. 
the Canaanites uh, were, were a very morally corrupt society. So this is not like these are just some good people living across the river and Israel went and conquered them. Um, the Canaanites were morally corrupt. They were evil. And one of the most egregious evils of the Canaanite people, you can read about in the book of Leviticus, was they practiced child sacrifice. So they would practice child sacrifice to pagan gods. And so if we want to get into like just war theory and all that kind of stuff, um, th- this was God enacting justice upon the evil. This was punishment for an evil, morally corrupt society. And that's the kind of the third point there is that it's a very unique moment in Israel's history. So there's a lot in the Old Testament talks about you know, Israel should live at peace with other nations and, and, and work to, to strive towards peace and be generous and gracious to the other nations and those things. But at this unique moment in Israel's history, God is leading them to conquer the people that occupy the promised land right then. Uh, Rob Bell actually says the violence in the Old Testament was, actually, was considered progressive for the day. If you look at other ancient literature, like if you look at other ancient flood stories, Nobody survived, but in, in God's story, in the Yahweh story, there's a redemption. There's, there's somebody who survived. There's one who finds favor in the eyes of the Lord. So I don't know. That, you can look all this up and study all this. I'm going to give you one more uh, answer to this question that helped me map, wrap my mind around it, and it just I stumbled across it accidentally, and it had to do with this book right here. So um, I, I like to read two books at a time, or sometimes three or four books at a time because my attention span I can't concentrate on just one book so Monday morning I read the story of the Joshua leading his people through the battle and then I read a chapter out of this book the allies uh, which is a great book about World War II history and guess what this book did it was just like Joshua it talked about the battle in the Pacific it talked about the battle in Europe and it there was like 3,000 people died that day, 12,000 people died that day, 40,000 people died that day, including civilians, men and women. It, it talks about all that. And as I'm reading a, hist- a history of modern warfare and comparing it to a history of ancient warfare, my conclusion was ancient warfare has got nothing on modern warfare. Like, I, mean, I, it, I mean, really, the difference is we're more removed from it today than they were. It's, as, as Winston Churchill said, it's more impersonal now. And, I mean, we do smart bombs and drones and those things. But when we were fighting World War II, we felt, and I'm talking about America, we felt like we were justified in that because we were fighting against evil. And we were justified in trying to stop evil with a use of force. So there were, Japan and Germany were committing atrocities against their people, and so we felt justified in fighting against that because we used force to stop the evil that was occurring. And I'm not, I'm not justifying everything that our country does, or I'm not justifying all war. I'm just saying we need to kind of, uh, we need to tone down the outrage towards the Bible. When we go, oh, I can't believe they were so violent and, and uncivilized back in the day. We don't do that anymore. We probably do it more so than they, we were probably as, as just as violent, if not a more violent society than they were. And that just... Just an aside. That kind of helped me kind of get my mind around it just a little bit. So uh, you can read more about that. We, we, that's a whole other sermon in and of itself, how to deal with the violence of the Old Testament. But you got to deal with it. So back to Joshua. So after Jericho, they, they win the battle of Jericho. They lose the next battle because they sin. And uh, then they repent, and then they win that battle. And then there's all these stories of battles. We won't go through all of them, but there's a whole military history, battle history that goes... And at the end of Joshua, 
Israel has conquered all the promised land, and they uh, divide it up among the 12 tribes, and Joshua dies. And we move into the book of Judges. Now, I want to give you a quick summary. I'm going to let somebody else give you a quick summary of the book of Judges with a video. But if you've ever thought the Bible's boring, people go, I don't want to read the Bible. The Bible's boring. You've been reading the wrong book. That's the only reason you think it's boring, is you've been reading the wrong book. If, if you want Judges is, wow. I mean, it's a dark history of the people of Israel. Um, but there's all kind of stuff in Judges. Like all, I mean, it, it's, it's got everything there. There's murder, sex, betrayal, conflict. Uh, I mean, it's just, everything's in the book of Judges. And it's given to us to remind us of what happens when we don't follow God. So Israel, after they defeat, the Canaanites, and after they win the promised land, there's a lot of surviving nations around them. And Israel starts to allow these surviving nations to influence them, and they start to worship their gods. They start to participate in their corruption or in their evil practices. They start to intermarry with the Canaanites, and so God punishes them. That's what he said he would do. If you don't follow my law, you'll be punished. God punishes them, and then you create this cycle that happens throughout the book of Judges to where God punishes them, they repent, he rescues them, they're obedient for a while, and then they get disobedient again. And then he punishes them, and they repent, and there's this cycle that goes through the book of Judges. So I'm going to let the Bible Project give you a quick review of this book. And the reason I'm doing this is because it would take me probably another 10 minutes to go through. There's six judges. That might take me 10 minutes to go through. Uh, this is only three, so... Thank goodness for the Bible Project, right? You're very happy about this. So uh, this is just a three-minute video that gives you a, a summary of what happens in this book. Because you got the time of Joshua, and now we enter the time of Judges. And Judges are the rulers. Okay, this is not, don't think like a legal judge. These are the rulers of Israel. And you'll be familiar with some of these names. Some of them you may not be familiar with. But uh, watch this. This part of Israel's history, the narrator says, was a series of cycles moving in a downward spiral. So Israel became like the Canaanites, and so they would sin against God. So God would allow them to be conquered and oppressed by the Canaanites, and eventually the Israelites would see the error of their ways and repent. So God would raise up a deliverer, a judge, from among Israel who would defeat the enemy and bring about an era of peace. But eventually Israel would sin again, and it would all start over. This cycle provides the literary design and flow for the next main section of the book. It gets repeated for each of the six main judges whose stories are told here. Now the stories of the first three judges, Othniel, Ehud, and Deborah, they are epic adventures. They're also extremely bloody stories. Either the judge themselves or people who help the judge, they defeat their enemies and deliver the people of Israel. The stories about the next three judges are longer, and they focus in on the character flaws of the judges, which get increasingly worse. So Gideon, he begins pretty well. He's a coward of a man, but he eventually comes to trust that God can save Israel through him. And so he defeats a huge army of Midianites with only 300 men carrying torches and clay pots. But Gideon has a nasty temper, and he murders a bunch of fellow Israelites for not helping him in his battle. And then it all goes downhill from there. He makes an idol from the gold that he won in his battles. And then after he dies, all Israel worships the idol as a god, and the cycle begins again. 
The next main judge is Jephthah, who's something of a mafia thug living up in the hills. And when things get really bad for Israel, the elders come to him begging for his help. And Jephthah was a very effective leader. He won lots of battles against the Ammonites, but he was so unfamiliar with the God of Israel, he treats him like a Canaanite God. He vows to sacrifice his daughter if he wins the battle. This tragic story, it shows just how far Israel has fallen. They no longer know the character of their own God, which leads to murder and to false worship. The last judge, Samson, is by far the worst. His life began full of promise, but he has no regard for the God of Israel. He was promiscuous, violent, and arrogant. He did win brutally strategic victories over the Philistines, but only at the expense of his own integrity, and his life ends in a violent rush of mass murder. All right, so, so one three-minute video, and all of my heroes from VBS are destroyed. Uh, I mean, it's like, as I'm watching, it's like, so Gideon's a coward, Jephthah's a mafia, and Samson is the worst of all the judges. And seriously, seriously like, I watched it like, Samson was the worst? Like, I thought he was the good guy. Well, I remember the stories of the hair, and I thought Delilah was the enemy in this story, not Samson, but they're right. I mean, he was promiscuous, and that got him in a lot of trouble, and he was arrogant, and that got him in a lot of trouble, and the whole point of the book of Judges is... People are screwed up and messed up, and they don't follow God, and they go do their own thing, and that leads to violence and murder and mayhem. And, I mean, it's just, it just goes spirals out of control for there, from there. And the book of Judges ends with that verse right there. In those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did as they saw fit. So the purpose of this story, remember, Hebrews write for a theological purpose. So the theological purpose of this history is to remind the Israelites, this is what happens when you don't follow God. This is what happens. You remember his covenant, you remember his promise, you remember his faithfulness, you remember his deliverance. When you don't follow him, this is what happens. Everyone lives as they saw fit. So you've got these two bookends, like the Torah ends on this sad note. Moses dies and doesn't get to inherit the promised land because of sin. And then they inherit the promised land, and then at the time of Judges, even after they've inherited the promised land, they're still conquered and still oppressed because everyone's doing as they saw fit, and like the people of Israel still aren't following God. But it's not the end of the story. There's one more story you'll read about this week, and I'll let you read it for yourself. It's the story of Ruth. It comes out of nowhere. Like, as you follow the history of the Old Testament, like, who is the, it's a Moab woman. She's a foreign woman. Her husband dies. She follows her mother-in-law, Naomi, back to Israel, and she marries a name named Boaz. What's the point of this story? God is hardly mentioned in the story. So what's the point of the story? Well, at the point of the story is... Ruth has a son named Obed. Obed has a son named Jesse. Jesse has a son named David. And if you follow that line of David all the way down, the very first line of the New Testament, the very first line, Matthew 1.1, is that this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And Ruth's one of only five women that are mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. So even in this dark period of Israel's history, God is reminding them in this dark period, I will rescue you. I will redeem you. I will deliver you. Again, this is like God's version of be strong and courageous and do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for I am with you wherever you go. The whole story 
The whole story points to Jesus. It's, it's all leading up to Jesus. God, Israel is in need of rescue, and God is going to ultimately rescue them through Jesus. Because Jesus will be greater than Moses. Jesus will be greater than the judges. Jesus will even be greater than King David. And King David we'll talk about next week. The bene- he's a benevolent but also messed up king of Israel. And so all of these human leaders God raises are not enough for Jesus who will come to rescue and redeem. I'm looking forward to what you got to read this week because it's, it's, I like military history, so this was, this was one of the most interesting reading sections for me because I thought it was just, just fascinating. So, but you'll, as you read it, keep looking for Jesus. Keep looking for Jesus, okay? Um, let me pray for us because it's time to go. And so let me say a word of prayer. i got just one thing to remind you of after we get done with that, but let me pray. Father, uh, it's just, uh, it's so fascinating to me to read this story and how you've given us a story of, well, you you just didn't leave anything out of it. Like, you you didn't sanitize the story so that we only get the good parts and we don't see the bad parts. Like, it's it's a real human history, and, and we know that humans are messed up, and we're just as messed up as the Israelites. We look at them sometimes with judgment, like, how could they do that? How could they do that? And God, I'm sure thousands of years from now, people could look at us and go, how could they do that? How could they, how could they let that happen in their society? How could they allow that to happen? Uh, Father, just please help us to be strong and courageous. Help us to have faith. Help us to trust you and help us to put our identity in you and you alone. Not in our own strength and might, uh, but in you. And help us to be obedient to you and to the laws that you've given us, the word and the commands that you've given us. And that supreme command is just to love other people in the way that we love ourselves. So, Father, help us to do that following our great example, Jesus. And it's in his name I pray these things. Amen. All right, last thing I'll mention, and I appreciate, I, I, I try to talk fast in those sermons because we've got a ton of Bible history to cover right there. So, appreciate